Bacha is the child of activism and design, creativity, merging to what seemingly opposing worlds such as luxury fashion and waste management together. We're the Majority Group, and this is Style as Identity, where we profile the designers and founders whose mere existence shifts our understanding of the style status quo. We're your hosts. I'm Lola Catero. And I'm Frankie Aquasim. And after years of settling for style that didn't represent us, we set out to find the brands that did. Join us each episode as we learn from brands that are an extension of their values, identity, and aesthetic. And because of them, we're seen and represented. The materials designers use and where they source them impact our lives in ways we don't even realize, whether natural, synthetic, printed, or otherwise. Sourcing these materials affects our communities, the air we breathe, the soil we step on, and beyond. Today we sit with Akila Stewart, founder of FATRA, a creative waste management company. I am so excited. She is changing people's minds about what waste looks like. I mean... She's totally changed mine. Is it a beautiful purse? Is it a forever resource? Let's ask her. As we learn about how Akila is retraining hearts, minds, and spirits to utilize waste as a resource, especially in fashion, our discussion prompted us to look inwards and ask ourselves how we play a role on an individual level and what we can do about it. This episode, go even deeper with us. Text HIFATRA, that's H-I-F-A-T-R-A, to us at the number 833 495-4773 to get our visual guide sent right to your phone. Let's get into it. Akila, welcome to the Majority Group. So happy you're here. (laughs) Same Z's. I wish we could do this every day. Oh my God, I wish. (laughs) Very excited to learn from you today. So when we first met and bonded over matching polka dot fits, that was a moment. <laughs> I was like, oh, your brand, Fatra, makes bags and purses out of recycled materials. I'm into it. But then getting to know you and the brand more, making these kind of near one of one bags is just one aspect of the brand. And so would love to hear it from your voice. What does Fatra mean to you? Well, Fatra is a creative waste management company. So it's more so about utilizing waste in new and innovative ways so that we can be inspired to look at how or what we're deeming waste. And that's just, yes, one aspect as far as materials, but it goes so much deeper as far as, you know, talking about people, environments, different hoods, the redlining. Bacha is literally the child of activism and design, creativity, merging to what seemingly opposing worlds such as luxury fashion and waste management together. And yet again, that's just to show what can be done when we actually utilize the potential of different peoples with different perspectives and just different industries and put them together. I think the silos that's created across industries is kind of what's holding us back. You know, we can't just have one group of people over here working on something, one group of people over here working on something. But if we all do it collectively, that's really how we're going to achieve overall sustainability. And that's what Fachara is about. So we're here to educate, inspire, and alleviate, you know, alleviate the waste of environment, 
alleviate waste in the fashion industry with different materials, plastics. Yeah, educate. We hope that we're doing something that makes people excited and want to learn more about plastics and their daily use, more about people, more about Haiti. So yeah, that's a little bit about what we do. We're making waste sexy and describing it and why we're doing that. What's some of the reasons? And there's so many. Well, one of my favorite things that you've said, which is saying a lot because you say a lot of things that I enjoy, and that's not flattering, you guys, (laughs) it's true, but is you said, we don't talk about waste, but we do it as part of who we are. Like you can't live and not make waste. And so making waste sexy, I like that because it's like, we're doing it anyway, but how do we frame it in a way where people don't have to shy away from it or think it's something we don't, taboo. It's like, it's part of living. (laughs) Exactly. Every living organism creates waste. The only difference is in other environments, they utilize that waste again, right? So that's the part where I think we're very linear in the creation and the output, the output, but then there's no place to go. We think we're throwing it away, but in fact, away is in the countries with majority black and brown people. And there's so much to unpack there, but Yes, we definitely are living waste. As far as the zero waste movement, I mean, I just think it's something that's kind of laughable. I appreciate the inspirations and the gains that it comes with. However, I don't think it's something that's truly possible because we are living organisms. But what helped me create Facha is that I kind of want to say, okay, we created the waste. Now what do we do? Versus, oh, I'm just not going to create waste and try to live up to a standard that's very unreal and then shame myself for it. It's more so, okay, what do we do with the plastic bottles? What do I do with this plastic? How can I reuse it? How do I use it for my deep conditioning or my hair masks or, you know, what else can we do besides be shamed because we're within a system that ultimately is not trying to not create waste, but trying to decrease waste. So you can't really blame yourself at all. But what I hope Facha is going to do within the fashion industry is inspire it to utilize that waste a lot more, you know, look at the whole system of how things are being created, because we don't want to take an elephant and make it skinny. We literally want to make an elephant a snail. We want to completely downsize and create something that we don't have. So While living within that, it's kind of impossible not to beat yourself up about creating waste. Zero waste, no hate, but I'm just saying, you know, come to the creative waste management side. That's no hate, it's just a little invitation. Like you said, we can't do it in our (laughs) silos. Zero waste meets creative waste. Let's go on a date. There we go. That actually might need to be an event coming up soon. Look, y'all hit me up. Y'all don't (laughs) need zero waste. Let's, Let's do something. We will come to Italy and host this event with you. I am very open for that. I'm open for building more bridges, honestly, with Milan and New York. I think in the fashion industry, there already is that connection within fashion. But I think we need to do a creative waste industry uh, mixer between the two. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that later, too. We can build that out. I'm ready. I'm into manifesting that. I am bookmarking that right now or whatever the people say in the office these days. <laughs> I have no clue and no desire to be back in the office to know what they say. So none whatsoever. You talked about a couple of things in responding to Lola's question in terms of like, you t- mentioned materials, activism, design. So there's definitely a clear both use and practice of all of those things in both like the way you approach your life, but also in what you've done with Fatra. 
So we want to know, one, why is material such a focus for Fatra? You've kind of already <laughs> talked about it, but let's talk about it more. And then two, you said something great. Sorry to ask two questions at once, but you said something about design and activism. So I'd love for you to also talk through, for you, what is the role design can play or the roles design can play in activism? My God, design is everything. I think we really downplay what design is to fashion and, you know, technology, but I mean, the way that your everyday life is designed is either for you to interact with community or not, or to waste your time doing two hours to commute to a job or not. I mean, the educations that we receive because of the neighborhoods that we live in, design is literally everything. I think that's why Apple has made it to the point that they have, because they've realized that people just want convenience and people want something that's across the board, that's going to be the same, that everyone can do and utilize. And they make that something friendly and easy to do. And I think that's what we just need to do with many of our systems. If we really do want true change and sustainability, we have to one, go back to what sustainability is and make sure that it's designed to be within our everyday lives versus trying to put sustainability in as a topic or an item within a system that doesn't support it. Ingredient versus a topping. There we go. There we, it needs to be in there in the mix, you know, from childhood, we need to learn that we're not separated from nature. You know, we're very much a part of it. And I think that once we start growing with this mentality, and then that's when we can honestly start to change our environment from childhood to the things that we do, to who we support, the foods that we consume, how we consume those foods. If we're growing those foods, are we supporting local things? Are we not? And I think that we just really have to make something convenient and also something fun, sexy, tangible. You know, I think a lot of people lose their power in thinking that, oh, what can I do? You know, what can be done? What can... And that's just because they put sustainability outside of culture. So I definitely think design is very, very important. And it's not just limited as you think it is. Everything is designed, whether you can see it or not. You know, there's invisible hand that guides you. And that invisible hand is design. I mean, they say God is the or universe is the bombest designer. And that's just because, yeah, you know, we can lift our arms without having to tell it to, you know, we can do so many things that our body is designed to do. And that's honestly something that's amazing. Going back to the first question. Okay, what was the first question? The use of materials, like the focus of it. Yes, yes. Materials, because in design of our everyday materials is so important. I mean... Honestly, I decided to start using plastic bottles because people deem plastic as something that's, you know, very evil, but it's not the material in itself. It's how we're using the material. You know, plastic can be something that's amazing if it's not one-time use, you know, and make sure that our foods get to places, you know, untouched, unscathed, can keep out bacterias as far as medical is concerned. There's many great uses for plastic, but the way that we're using it is very detrimental. Like it's taking a forever material and making it into something that we don't even use for, you know, five minutes. <laughs> and so doing that math, <laughs> I decided it would be a great place to start. I mean, I have handbags and I have things from my great grandmother and what not a better thing to make a forever, you know, item in your closet than a forever material that can literally, you know, kill us, give us hormone imbalancing chemicals, all types of mess when it gets into our water, our food and our air. And when you can just actually keep it in a closet and have it passed down, have it repaired. Why are we using and creating more textiles when there's tons and tons of textiles that need to be recycled, whether, you know, on a 
smaller level or even on a chemical level. Materials is a great place to start because it's tangible. It's something tangible, something you can put in your hand. And as tech becomes more popular and takes over all the tangibilities as far as books, magazines, reading, a lot of things that we used to have different tangibilities on, we don't have anymore. But with fashion, that's not the case. Like, right, you can't just walk out and be naked if you want to. So I figured, yeah, let's start with utilizing the waste and alleviating the environment that I'm in for creating another product and another product that we hope is giving the quality and having the system of repair and rebuild and reuse that it can be around for a very long time. Materials is a very, very important thing. It's kind of the theme. It's kind of the theme. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard someone talk about plastic as a forever material in a way that isn't degrading, which is funny because it doesn't really degrade. So the fact that we degrade it so often. (laughs) No, but it's true. I think plastic gets a bad rap, but plastic shouldn't go further than, you know, some hospitals. Some industries really just don't need to have it in the way that they're having it. And I think that that's the issue the same way with, you know, clothing production. Like it's not a thing that, oh, we hate clothes all of a sudden. Oh, we don't want the clothes. No, we don't want 4,000 pieces made in a day. And we don't want them to be made by, you know, people who are basically under enslavement, indentured servitude, you know, not being paid, not only not being paid, but gosh, just some really horrible, horrible working conditions. The problem is not the material, it's us, but it goes back to the design. Us having a different type of relationship with environment and materials, because what are materials ultimately? They come from some type of living source. So I definitely think that it's something that we should pay a lot more attention to than we do. You know, we want to switch back from the plastic into paper bags. Okay, where are you getting those paper bags from? So now we're going to have to deal with deforestation somewhere. Are we going to have that issue? You know, every type of substitution is going to come with another issue when we really just need to break down the issue. Why is it so hard for everyone just to bring their own bag? Why don't we just have lockers? You know, like in the nail salon back in the day, everybody had their own little kits inside the nail salon. When you come, you go and get your thing and you do your thing. Like we need to create new systems that support ultimately what it is that we're asking for. I think we're asking, but we're asking the wrong crowd. We're asking people in the space who's not in the the capability to give us what we're asking because the systems just do not support it. We need new systems. I'd like to stop on here for a minute. So let's talk about this like sustainable and ethical fashion futurism that you're talking about. Waste is the output of how we've been trained to view used materials and regarding it as such as like investing in screwing over our future. So what's your view on how to collectively retrain ourselves on these used materials, on the existing systems, and how does that impact us? I think for me, that's where the education aspect of Fatra comes in, doing our workshops, understanding. I think some people don't even realize that there are these companies that, you know, resell textiles that you can do something with or that you don't even need to go outside of your house. Like some of us have so much stuff, linens and tablecloths and blankets. I mean, we have so much stuff that we just need to be able to look at them differently. We need to look at them still with a lot more life inside the same way that I encourage people to look at other people the same way. People have this big deal about immigration and this and that. It's like, you're not looking at people 
as though they're coming with perspective and skills and, you know, talents and maybe they can help solve some of the issues that we're going through, but we're looking at them as the disregarded, the discarded type of people. And that's the same thing that's happening with any type of material. You know, I just think that we need to look at things in a very different way and we need systems and institutions that support that schooling from very early on. You know, I was a girl scout and I feel like that also helped part of my design in the future or just how I looked at the world. You know, I think that I was exposed at a very early age to a lot of different things. And so while some people say, oh, um, you should just only stick with one thing and be good at that. I'm always open for learning new things, whatever it may be, because in that one system or in that one training, I might learn something that I can apply elsewhere and make it completely revolutionary just because of that one thing. Ultimately, We need to be able to change the viewpoint to open up our creativity and our imagination a little bit more so that we don't look at plastic bottles as, you know, just something to throw in the garbage. It could be a planter. It could be, you know, a bag. It could be a cap. It could be many things and maybe so many more things that I've never even tried or experimented with. But we just have to be able to, I guess, be encouraged to be creative, be encouraged to be imaginative. And that's the thing that we're lacking. I see so many people like, you know, jumping on people for expressing different trains of thoughts. And it's like, if you listen to that train of thought, maybe you find one crumb in there. You don't have to agree with anything. I don't think there's anyone in the planet in which I agree with 100% wholeheartedly. And I think yet again, that purism is something that kills a lot of the imagination and creativity that can be happening. This purism thing is it's hurting us in a very tactical way, like in politics, when in food, you want the apple that's red and shiny and beautiful. It's like, yeah, but that's not the reality of all growth. You know, there's lots of impurities and that's okay. It's so clear that you start with the future. The future is thought of first and the end of life design happens at the beginning and you are working to retrain us, just changing the way we're kind of approaching what living and or engaging with products and throwing them out is about. Yes, the future has to be thought about. I mean, I think one of my pet peeves are people that don't have foresight for many things, you know, and I think that's also coming from like my scientific background, my science mind, where you have to have many variables in a thing and you have to think about, okay, but if it goes left or if it goes right, you know, and you have to have a plan for each of those things. And I think that We're developing very large systems that have super impactful outputs without any foresight. Even cell phones, you know, I try to put mine on, you know, airplane mode before I go to bed because it's just like, you don't know. We're the first to engage with a lot of these technologies. We're the first to engage in a lot of, you know, people have the fight with GMO foods or not, no foods, but there's not enough food to feed the population. So we should, and it's the same. And How do you know that? How do you know that without having this be out for more than the last, you know, 50 years? And how does that at the same time, if you're looking at the rate of cancers that's only been going up, how do you know that those things aren't connected? Or has there even been someone to ask that question? I think I question so many things because the future is very important. Like there's so many things that because of the way that things have been designed that 
moving forward, it changes us. It changes us so much. People don't even have a camera anymore outside of their phone or, you know, write anymore. You know, they took out cursive from the schools because people just are typing everything. But what effect does that have on people, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, seeing how clothing being made with plastics how that's affecting already within the last 10 years. Things that we may think are super innovative, but what is the outcome? And I think we have to at least do that. You can't know everything. No, you can't know everything. But there's some things that you can kind of guess or formulate according to what it is that you're putting out. We have to look at the future. We've got to look at the future because it impacts everyone and everything. Why they say, you know, Children are the future. Children are the future because one day they're going to grow up and rule and run. And it's the same thing with design. It can absolutely change the way that we live. So we have to look at it a little bit more closely. What you're waking up in me is this like awareness of just like the connective tissue between things that we might perceive separately, but they're related. And I think that that's like what you do well. And that's the thing. I'm glad it's working. (laughs) I'm all about that. I'm like, it's all one, baby. You don't think so but it's all one it's all one it's the yin and the yang you know it's all one thing it's like all the evil over there and the good over here no it's all very connected I think that does fuel innovation and you talked about being exposed to a lot of different things at a very early age but many people might not know but we know because we know you like you've sustained that throughout your life I mean You and Lola met in Brooklyn, still jelly as hell that I was not part of that, but we will meet one day. (laughs) We're going to have a meetup. The meetup is needed. And then now you're in Italy, but we also know from talking to you too, that you've been all over the world, whether you've lived there or you've just been visiting or it was for Fatra or other reasons. So talk to us about how this like global perspective has impacted your work, but also the ways in which you learn. Because I know you said you're very curious, you'll learn about different things and kind of the information you carry and share across the work that you do. I am the daughter of two immigrants. My father is from Haiti and my mother is from Guyana. And I do think that that start opened me up for lots of things because although both from the Caribbean, there's still a lot of things that are very different between Guyanese people and Haitian people. But I was exposed to them both and never was it. And my parents weren't together for most of my childhood, but they always were very connected. They still stayed friends and they one would never bad talk the other. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, you're Haitian, you're you're Haitian, you're, you're more Haitian side or you're Guyanese, you're more Guyanese. We didn't have those type of feuds. So they were... They would give me enough to know about each. And I'm yet again, so curious, always from an early age. And I, I could wish I could put my father on. He would be like, y'all don't know how curious she was. Okay. <laughs> but from that, he opened me up. My parents opened me up to a world of endless possibilities because I can see what's happening in Haiti. I can see what's happening in Vienna. I can see how I was living in America. I can see how, you know, like my father says, being a juice extractor, like taking out the bad and just taking in the good from every place. And I never looked at one place and said, oh, this place is parish, this place is this. Like I look at places and people the same and situations, opportunities. I look at everything the same, that there's always something to gain. I'm definitely a half glass full woman, 130%, (laughs) if you can't tell. There is always something great to take away. And that opened me up to when I started designing in New York that I knew that 
I didn't have to only be in New York. You know, people were trying to be hometown heroes and I'm just like, go for y'all. But, you know, I, I could also go here and, you know, and to Florida and be great. I can go to Texas and be great. I can go to, you know, the Caribbean and be great. I can go to Europe and be great. And that's honestly what led me there is just not thinking that I only needed to be in my one hood. There's so many people I talk to now. They're like, oh, yeah, I do this. But people here are very small minded. People here, people here. And it's like, well, why are you here? You know, go where your work and your talent is enjoyed and appreciated. And all of the opportunities to live abroad that I've had was because of my designs. I first started a company called Sweet and Salty Shoes. Shout out to everybody who knows that Sweet and Salty Shoes. Yes, that was my first company. And while doing so, I took some interest from a group called Ajit in South Korea. And they offered to if I would like to do a show, a solo show in South Korea, and whether in Busan or Seoul, and I choose Busan, then I had a show in both Busan and Seoul anyway, just because I'm open like that. And from there, the people who were there invited me to Japan, and from Japan, then to Ghana, and from Ghana into London. And it's just literally because I I'm never looking at anyone's culture with a, my culture is better or comparing. There's spectrum, there's a scale, and there's history behind all of that that tilts that scale. And that's also so important to know. And I just go in really just with a love and a respect of our differences and our sameness. But ultimately, there's way more sameness. Like I've lived and seen most of the world. And I have a video that I literally say that while filming. I'm like, most of the world looks like most of the world. Like there's only very few places that has this, you know, very Western feel, but everywhere else that I have been all kind of has a very similar feel. So I never look at it like this place is this, this place is that. It's like, no, this place is great because it has this. This place is great because it has that. And it may be due to geographical location. Like it has nothing to do with anything else besides that. And so, yeah, I guess just my love, openness and respect for other cultures has kept that door open for me. And when I give that love, people are reciprocating that love and they enjoy the work that I do and they enjoy how I can intertwine some of their cultural aspects or techniques, artisanal techniques into the work that I do while telling that story. I'm not trying to erase them. I'm not trying to go and learn something and take it back and call it mine and charge you thousands of dollars to learn it because I learned it from the, the and never tell that story. You know, there's so many people that do that. And I think that's honestly what has kept me afloat is that I don't have a lot of money, but I got a lot of people. I know people everywhere. That's the real wealth. <laughs> <laughs> I have people everywhere. If I need to bounce real quick, they'll be like, yeah, girl, yeah. <laughs> what you need? <laughs> and a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people scared to leave, you know, Staten Island. <laughs> you go to Jersey, they think they're living. Baby. Like, what? No. AC? AC. All right, all right, all right. Like, people like that, I can't even, you know, so. Pocketbook or community? <laughs> Speaking of people you know, or the people that know you, new collaborations with countries isn't something that just happens. Like, the Prince of Monaco didn't just, like, send you a DM and say, hey, it's me, Prince Albert II. What's good? Hey. Me, Albert, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think it's definitely due to your nature of being someone says this or this and you say, yeah, both sounds great. And you have that magnetic energy and you get it done. But some of these connections and collaborations you have are just next level. So 
for example, with your collab with Monaco, how do conversations like that even begin? I look for the blind spot and there's so many. And that's the thing that I think people yet again need to understand and realize is that you're way more powerful than you give yourself credit for. No one has it all figured out. No government, no people, no country, nowhere has it all figured out and they can use what it is that you think. And if you have an action plan to that, even if you don't have an action plan to that, if you put the idea on the table, somebody else might say, hey, I know how to do this. Somebody else might say, hey, I know how to do that. And you put it together. I think I'm really just all about the putting together. And because I have this worldwide view, I can notice how things are operating in maybe one part of the world that maybe can also work in other part of the world or something that's operating in that one place or one country. And I'm like, hey, it will be dope if you can also do this because I've seen this work in in another place. Yet again, always giving props, always giving the the glory to where I first seen or heard it. And that's kind of how it happened. You know, they're really trying to push sustainability goals. And I really love and I respect that. And it's a small enough nation that I think that it can be done and it can be done very easily with new systems. And because yet again, it's smaller, it should be easier to get everyone on board to create those systems if they're very honest about what it is that they're trying to achieve. So when I see a blind spot, I just go full on with it and I introduce the idea of the possibility of what can be. And I think yet again, being future focused, I show them what it can be and then I show them where they are. So a lot of the times people love what it can be and then they go back and say, oh, but I'm here. Yeah, but you can be here with the simple steps of X, Y, and Z. And that's kind of where I come in. And you mentioned this earlier when you said, you were going somewhere with it. And there is a specific quote that I think Lola pulled out of you saying, we can't be Puritans to the point where we're not seeing action. That is the spirit of things in that you're showing where we can be, where we are, but also not letting people feel like, you know, there's only one way of doing that. So I would love for you to say more about that and why that's kind of something that you push for. My father always told me, you got to know how to get to one place two or three different ways. You can't take the same street every time because what happens if something is on that street? What do you do? So I look at that through everything, you know, we always have to have an A, B, and C, and we have to be able to choose the route that's most beneficial for the majority of people. They have to have a say within that, that change or that route. I think that, again, the intertwining of where you want to be, I think, you know, in my head, I'm just like a workout diva, you know, this, that, and then where I am in reality. The humble, the humbleness. But I know that if I create a plan, I can be that in my head. And one, you have to have the vision in your head that you're the workouts. You know, you have to have, I think that that's something else with the sustainability community that's a little bit annoying is that we're having a lots of what we shouldn't be doing, which creates shame, guilt, which creates non-movement, which creates stagnancy, which creates keeping the business as normal. So I don't go that route because it's not productive. It doesn't do anything for anyone. And yet again, we all have a past self and a future self. We all have a self that did not know better. We all had a past self that made mistakes and that's okay. But once you start bringing shame to that past self, shame to that past system, shame to guilt, you don't move forward because you're stuck in that. So I take, okay, you are here. This is where we want to be. 
this is where we can be. This is what we can look like. And this is where we are. What are the steps to achieve to get to that place? And I want everyone involved and included because you never know, okay, maybe someone has a wild ass idea. But within that wild ass idea, you can say, okay, we can't do that, but we could do this. That makes people feel included that, yes, at least they had some input of some sort to show that we can build this ladder to create the new future, to reach this new point. So I think there's lessons in everything and what has happened in the past that's going to bring us to the future. So there's no need to be shame or feel guilt in that. And I think that's kind of how I'm able to come in places. You know, I'm not coming to places like, oh, New York is so fucking dirty. It's so this and so that. It's like New York has a large population within a very intercity community and it can use X, Y, and Z. It's great that it's set up like this, that there's a bodega on every quarter, but what are those bodegas carrying? Let's utilize what it is that we have, the pros that food can be available. Food is available, if you would like to call it food, but what types of foods? And that's not something that, you know, happens in in a Tampa, per se, you know, where you have to drive very far and, you know, go find So it's not a one place is more shitty. Yet again, it's just a spectrum. It's spectrums. And on that spectrum, you can bring things closer together with your experience of other things. And that's okay. I think yet again, take the good and leave the bad. The things that you don't like, don't harp on it and don't lean into it. And how can you make it what it is that you want? Okay. If you like clean cities, okay. How do you make it that? Don't just claim that it's so dirty. People peeing here. Yeah. Is there a restroom anywhere? Can I use the bathroom anywhere? Yes. Ask the questions. Ask the questions. Make it make sense. (laughs) How do we get there? As you were talking, I was like, yeah, you're right. Shame and guilt have never gone hand in hand with like realizing our potential. Like those two things don't work off each other. (laughs) Like, you know, so let's focus on growing instead of just, you know, sitting in our losses. One of the things that I'm really taking away from this is whether it's building a fashion company or creative waste management company or how we perceive materials and how we use them, that it does come back to the self, but the connective tissue that you keep talking about, which I think is what is often missing. I know it's missing from myself sometimes, but is like, who is our past self? And then who is like our dream self? But who's the self we're actually building towards? Is it the same version of our past self? Like the same person? Is it the dream? Like who is that person we're building towards? And that is a big takeaway for me. Mm. Say that again, please. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I love that okay, myself. From you. <laughs> yes. No, seriously. That is the thing. Like, where are we going? We know what we don't like. And there's a power in that. But if there's no steps to coming out of what we don't like, now you just like to complain. You know, there's definitely a difference between, you know, constructive criticism and someone that's just wants to tear you down or tear a city down or tear whatever down through their words without their actions. And I think within sustainability, we definitely need more people to, yes, not be okay with how things are currently, but also how they can make them okay just where they are, just in your city, just in your hood. You don't need to take over the world. You know, what's working in Alaska may not work in, but stop. Are you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't, people are like, but the world, the world, girl, the world. Yeah. We don't need no, you to even do all that. that. <laughs> we just need you to 
do a block cleanup, an ocean, a beach cleanup, you know, go to your children's schools and, you know, see how their recycling programs are doing. Like, I think that we really don't celebrate our wins enough. And the people that are doing those things just look at them as little programs or little this and little system, but little programs create large systems, you know, just like the anatomy of the body, you know, cells create organs, organs create us and we create, I mean, you have to start on a very, very small scale and just work your way up and not be discouraged that it's a small scale. We are specs in the whole grand scheme of things. So you will never get anything done if you just keep looking at it in that way. And I prefer to look at myself as someone that's grandiose and very powerful and limitless. And I think I bring that energy to people that I work with and to every project that I'm on and make them feel powerful and limitless. And then we do really gangster ass shit. Yes. (laughs) We do. I mean, that's what you do, right? It's the only way to describe it. <laughs> gangster gas. Gangster ass shit. Yo, I might do something with that. That gas. Mm. Oh my gosh. I never realized that acronym. Full on gas. I love acronyms. <laughs> gas only. Gas. Gas. You got to press the gas. The next time you think guilt or shame is starting to creep up on you, press the gas on that ass. All right. Just get into your gangster ass shit bag. You know, I'm not going to hold me, hold me down. Akila, thank you for your building, connecting. You're creating new with the things that we already have. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah, you're wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. That's a wrap on our theme of materials. Loved getting to go deeper with Yavu, Bin London, Mighty, and Fatra as they use materials to showcase their values and literally embody the impact or change they want to see in the world. Next episode, you know what it is. Reflection time. Frankie and I reflect on the last four conversations and discuss how our perspectives have expanded and what questions we now have. See you there. <laughs>